Hey church, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. We kick off today a new series entitled Light in the Darkness as we go through the Gospel of John in just the first chapter. And I believe that this series is particularly important because this has been a difficult year. We've talked about it time and time again. But for many of you in different ways, whether you have experienced darkness personally or you have seen darkness or there is darkness in those that you love, that are struggling, we need to hear the message of the first chapter of John that Jesus is the light in the darkness. And we're going to see that in the next several weeks as we move through this series culminating in Christmas Eve service. And so our chapter today is John chapter 1 and just the first five verses. So will you read along with me? God's Word says this to us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. So I was reading this passage this week, and I, you know, started to get into the Christmas season as we're moving into that. Some of you have been in the Christmas season for like two months, but I'm just starting to get into it. I'm remembering back as a child that this time of year was always my favorite time of year, and I'm sure for many of you it's the same. You remember as a kid the anticipation and the joy and the magic of the season. You couldn't wait for it to be Christmas Eve. And if you're like me, you were anticipating Santa's arrival. You were trying to figure out a way that you could catch Santa when he was coming down the chimney or when he was going to be unloading the presents. So maybe you got everything ready. You put the cookies out. You put the milk out. It's the one night of the year where you're willing to go to bed early, but that never works because you're so excited. And so you're, you're trying to stay awake and you're listening for every little sound. You think, is that, a, is that the reindeers on the roof? Is that the sleigh? I don't know. Eventually, you give way to exhaustion and you fall asleep. And you wake up in the morning and Santa came. And he gave some great gifts and you're full of joy. And maybe you thought to yourself, isn't it weird that Santa always comes when I'm asleep? He always comes when I'm asleep. He just knows how it works. This season is such an exciting time in the life of the church. Maybe for you and your family personally, that there's joy, there's magic, there's lights, there's celebration. But one of the things that happens is that as we get older, uh, this season changes a bit, right? The anticipation isn't the same. Sometimes you're anticipating Christmas to be over, or in the case of this year, 2020, you're just anticipating the year to be over. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've ever been a part of a year, I, I certainly, I know I haven't, where I looked forward to New Year's Eve more than any other day. The anticipation changes. The joy changes. The joy of the season can kind of become circumstantial. It it depends on the parties. It depends maybe on a gift. It depends on how your year-end bonus comes in. Joy changes. And the magic of the season 
changes too. In fact, many of us are trying to constantly reignite that same magic we experienced as a kid, even in our adulthood, by trying to decorate everything and trying to listen to Christmas music way too early. Some of you probably decorated your house like in September. You're just trying to reignite it. You're trying to get into it. You're trying to get into the season. But it just feels different as an adult than when you were a kid. And one of the problems of our quote-unquote maturity is that it not only changes the magic of the season for us, but it also changes the story of Christmas for us as well. Because we begin to tell ourselves that what we should believe is what we see. This is how we're programmed to think. That seeing is believing. And so we look at this Christmas story every year in the church and we spend time at Crossbridge throughout the season of Advent remembering and and gleaning from the arrival of Christ our Savior. And so you know every year it's Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago in a cave to his mother Mary and Joseph. And you know the shepherds came and the wise men came and there's angels shouting hallelujah that this was the Son of God, Emmanuel, literally God with us, born on a mission to save sinners like you and me. And as we get older, this story can begin to feel like Santa Claus. And so you either, in your adulthood, flat out reject it. Decide, I can't get around this whole story, born of a virgin in a cave, God in the flesh, these concepts. You flat out reject it, or you accept it and you believe it, but you struggle to wrap your mind around it. Because childlike belief turns into cynicism. That's what happens to us, right? Our childlike belief turns into cynicism. And we bring that into the story of Jesus as well. And then we, especially in this time, if you're like me, you look at your kids or you look at other children And you think to yourself, I just wish I could be like that again. I wish I could believe like that. I wish I could be full of that type of joy and that type of anticipation. I wish I could really experience the magic of the season like that, especially this year. But we feel different now. We look at children and we think to ourselves, I wish I could just get out of my head a little bit. I wish I could just not feel the pressure mounting of work. I wish I could just not worry as much. Just be in the moment like these children. Experience what this season is all about and see it for its beauty. So we look at that Christmas story, kind of feels like Santa. What we see in the story is that Jesus is born in the flesh, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, and that kind of feels like Santa delivering Christmas presents to all the kids all over the world on one night. Jesus is born to a virgin. That kind of feels like Santa fits down every single chimney, even though he's obviously overweight. We read about Jesus born to save sinners, and we see that through the cross and the resurrection, and that kind of feels like the North Pole with elves making toys and flying reindeer. We struggled to wrap our minds around the magic 
the true magic of this Christmas story. And so therefore also this season and our doubt and our cynicism leads to us missing out oftentimes on what we can glean and what we can see and the hope and the peace and the joy and the light that we can experience as we look into the arrival of our Savior some 2,000 years ago for you and for me. In our text here in John chapter 1, John is telling a Christmas story. Now, this is not a, a normal passage to look at for the Christmas season because there's no shepherds, there's no magi or wise men. You don't even see Mary and Joseph here in chapter 1. But we see John in his gospel speaking about the arrival of Christ and the true magic and the beauty of the light who is Christ coming into the darkness that Jesus really is the light in the darkness, and that some 2,000 years ago, God said, let there be light. So look at verse one with me. Verse one says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So there's two things that jump out, at least for me here in the first verse. The first is the connection with Genesis chapter one. Sounds just like the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning. So that's the first thing that jumps out. The second thing that jumps out is the capitalization of the word, word. And the reason that this is capitalized is because John, as he's going to flesh out, is talking about someone. And he's using the word in Greek known as logos. This word in Greek is logos which they would have understood the audience reading this text in the Greco-Roman world would have understood exactly what he's saying. Logos is divine reason. So the Greco-Roman philosophers, as they began to try to seek to understand truth, and in this culture there was many different gods that were believed in, they said that there has to be something that is above everything, that, that organizes and orders everything, that makes sense of everything, that gives meaning to everything. There must be something supreme. But we don't know what it is, so we're going to call it the Logos, this divine reason. Can't wrap our minds around it, but we'll try to define it. And so John here in his gospel says, the Logos, that divine reason that you cannot wrap your minds around, is God. And he begins to say something very interesting, but also quite confusing. He says, in the beginning was the Logos, And the Logos was with God. So there's this distinction. The Logos was with God, but then he says, and the Logos, the Word, was God. So the Logos is God, but the Logos is also with God. What? He's saying that there is diversity in the oneness of God. There's diversity in the oneness of God, that the Word was God and is also with God, that there is diversity in unity. And then he begins to flesh this out even more so in the next few verses. Verse 2 through 5, he says, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome.
coming. He's reiterating his point here that the word is God and is with God and is eternal. He's saying, who I'm talking about is God. But is also with God and is eternal. And this is the point where as a thinking adult, we begin to get cynical. So we, I don't even know what you just said. I'm like confused. The, the, the word, the logos, is with God, but also is God. There's diversity and the oneness of God. And the reason that we begin to get cynical as we read this is because we are programmed to think that seeing is believing. And if you've never seen something, then you should distrust that claim. So because we've never seen anything that is and with at the same time, we've never seen diversity in unity, we begin to get cynical and to doubt. To say, wait, wait a minute. I don't understand how this works. You see, we've seen the opposite, certainly. We see unity in diversity, but we don't see diversity in unity. What do I mean by that? See, our, maybe your friend group is unity in diversity. You are all different people. There's diversity in your friend group, but you're seeking to be united. Your family is diverse. Different personalities, different people, different interests, different struggles, different weaknesses, different strengths, but you're seeking to be united, though you're diverse. As a church, we desire to be united, though we are diverse. There is unity in diversity, but the opposite is not true. Diversity in unity. In fact, the only way that we can even wrap our minds around that is in a medical term where we label people that have uni diversity in unity with multiple personality disorder. One person who is diverse in and of themselves. They have multiple personalities. And so when we read this, is the apostle John is saying, wait, wait, you need to understand. The logos, that thing, that divine reason makes sense of everything that you can't wrap your minds around. We'll try to wrap your mind around this. That logos is God. But that logos, that word, is God and is also with God, eternal. He is the creator, and that's what he says in verse Two and three, that he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. That he is the creator, that he has created all things. He's the author of life. But notice that here in these verses, as he's beginning to flesh this out, as you may feel cynical, certainly they were feeling cynical too. Trying to wrap their minds around something they've never seen, that there's no category for. Unity in, or diversity in unity. Never seen it. Can't wrap their mind around it. Says this word, this eternal word who is God and is with God is the creator of all things, the author of life. And there's a subtle change here that you pick up when you read slowly. If you've heard it before, maybe you run past it. But in verse 2, the Apostle John begins to give pronouns to the word. In verse 1, he says, the word was with God and the word was God. But then in verse 2 and following, he gives pronouns. He, 
gives he him. It says that he was in the beginning. He has created all things. He is the light. He is the life. Now, this is important because we only give pronouns to things that are alive on earth. We give pronouns to living things. We don't look at a rock and give a rock a pronoun. So what is John saying? He's saying, listen, I want you to try to open your mind up. I want you to try to hear what I'm saying. The logos, the thing that makes sense of everything, that orders everything. The logos is God, the creator God from the beginning. But he's also with God. And that this word, this logos, is a person. It's a person of God who has come, as he says in verse 4, to give life. Because in him was life. Obviously, in him was life because he's the creator. So he's the creator of life. So in him is life. And that life was the light of men. John is saying here that the word, the logos, has come. And he is the light of life to men, that he offers life, that he illuminates you to see that what he offers and who he is is in fact life. And that he has the authority to give it and the authority to make that claim because he is in fact God. Unbelievable. Profound what is being said here. And it is so relevant to see this. Because all of us here, like the audience that is reading this gospel account, all of us are seeking after something to make sense of our lives, to make sense of our year, to make sense of our struggle. We are all seeking things to bring life, to fill us with life, to fill our lives. So we use the term life-giving. I'm looking for something life-giving. I'm looking for a life-giving experience. We want life. We want to be filled with life. The Apostle John is saying, this person I'm talking about is God and he's with God. And he has come as the light to give life, to offer life. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes we can read this and we can just look at what is on the page and believe what is on the page. We just kind of run past it, we read it, and we read verse 5 in particular where it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we think, okay, I get it. I know I'm supposed to believe that. But John is saying, your search for life is over. Your search for life is over because he's come. He has come and he is the life and he offers life to you. And so don't just read this and say, you know, I obviously know he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is God. He's with God. He's come. He offers life. He's the light in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And you just read it as a truth that is just a statement on a page. Okay, I got it. I understand it. I know I'm supposed to believe it. You have to go deeper. So let's, let's lean into that. Let's press into that. Jesus is the light who has come to offer life. He is the light in the darkness. And the darkness has not over, 
overcome him. What does that mean? Well, it means that darkness runs from him. He is like a candle in a room. Darkness flees from him. And when we go deeper into that and we lean into that, what do we see? We see an example, the greatest example, really, of light in the darkness. What is the greatest example of light in the darkness? It's the cross. The darkest day in human history was a day when Jesus, because the religious leaders hated him so much, conspired to kill him. Got one of his own 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot, to betray him. He's imprisoned and falsely accused, unjustly tried, and his own disciples abandon him. He's mocked, he's humiliated, he's beaten. He has to carry his own cross, a torture device, and then he's hung upon that. It is the darkest day in human history. But Jesus is the light in the darkness, and the darkness will not and shall not overcome him. And so three days later, God said, let there be light. And he comes forth out of a dark tomb, alive. Alive, because he is the author of life. And he is light, and darkness will not overcome him. And so he comes forth to those women at the tomb, to the disciples, and to many more for them to truly see who Jesus is, that he is the light in the darkness, and darkness shall not overcome him. Most beautiful day, three days in history where we see who Jesus is. Light bursting forth chasing away the darkness but go deeper look if we go deeper we see that connection i mentioned in the beginning in genesis chapter one i want to read for you the beginning of genesis chapter one says this in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters And God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, this is certainly the creation account. This is speaking to God as the creator. The word, Jesus as creator too. Here at the very beginning, just with an utterance, with a word, beginning to form what we enjoy and experience now. But think about this connection here in John chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 1. See, if the word has come for you and for me to shine in the darkness and he comes to offer life, let's look back at Genesis and what is Genesis saying? Well, who are you and me before God, before light shines in the darkness of our soul? We are, as it says in Genesis chapter 1, formless and void and darkness is hovering over. And then what does God do? He speaks into your soul and to my soul and he says, let there be light. And the light who is Christ that begins to reside in our soul through faith chases away the darkness. And then verse four or five says, and God saw in Genesis, God saw that the light was good 
And God separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, when God speaks light into your soul through faith in the light of the world, in the light and the darkness, who is Christ, darkness flees. You are a new creation. Darkness is gone and light has now taken residence. But that is the first day. That is just the first day of your new beginning with Christ. What begins to take place is that now God begins to form you and to fill you with goodness, the goodness of Christ that has been imparted to you. The theological term for that is the process of sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ, becoming more like light, seeing the light of Christ formed in you, seeing the goodness of Christ formed in you. What happens in the Genesis account? After the first day, when God separates the light from the darkness, and he says, let there be light, and that chases away the darkness, he begins to form his creation, and then he fills his creation with life, and he calls it good, and he does the same for you. When Christ takes residence in your heart through faith, the darkness is cast out, you are a new creation, and you begin the process of being formed into the image of Christ and filled with life. And it's good. See, there's that connection here in John chapter 1. This happens in you. So, if Jesus is the light who shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome him, then that is not true of just one moment in time, during the cross and the resurrection. It is true that the darkness will never overcome him and that he shines in the darkness at all times. In every type of darkness, in every time period, in every life. Therefore, and this is when we go deeper still, therefore your first response in the face of darkness should be to say, let there be light. Let there be light. Jesus, begin to form in me your light and your life and fill me with your light and your goodness. And that's a question I want to ask you. Is that your first response? I know all of us. <laughs> have faced darkness of different sorts and different kinds this year, and many of us are still facing it. Is your first response when you're facing darkness at work to say, Jesus, let there be light. Let there be light. Reveal what needs to be uncovered and shine forth in me light. Show me how to be an example of who you are and your goodness and your light in this difficult situation in my work. When there's darkness in a relationship, is your first response to say, Jesus, let there be light. Reveal the brokenness. Heal the wounds. Bring clarity to everybody involved. That's what light does. When you are facing darkness in your mind, is your first response to say, Jesus, let there be light in my mind. Show me what is true. Show me what are lies. Protect me from un 
unwanted and unknown attacks. When you see darkness in your city, your neighborhood, your country, is your first response to say, Jesus, let there be light. Reveal you as the way and the truth and the life and show me how to live it. Illuminate my eyes to see how to live like that in a dark time, in a dark environment. Is that your first response to say, Jesus, let there be light? Or is your first response when facing darkness at work to say, let me think of some solutions that I can begin to implement for myself? When there's darkness in a relationship, is your first response to say, well, let me just avoid that relationship because I don't want to deal with that? Is your first response when there's darkness in your mind to just accept it and say, this is just how it is? Nothing that can be done. When there's darkness in your city, your neighborhood, or your country, is your first response to say, well, it's all about the government, it's all about the policies, it's all about the companies, it's all on them to fix these situations. You see, Jesus is the light who overcomes all darkness. He is the light in the darkness, and that is for all of it. Every darkness you face, every darkness you see, he shines in it all. And none of it will overcome him and his purpose and his plan and his glory. So I want you to think about the darkness you're facing in your life. I know that can be difficult. I know that can be hard. I want you to think right now about the things that you're facing. The darkness that is surrounding you. Maybe it feels really close. Maybe you see it at a distance. I want you to think about that. And then I want to just read this verse over you. Think about it. Hear this. Jesus is the light that shines in your darkness. And your darkness shall not overcome him. Jesus is the light that shines in your darkness. And your darkness shall not overcome him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the light that shines in your darkness and your darkness shall not overcome him? Because that's what John is saying. That's who Jesus is. That is true of you. You see, we have faith in Jesus as the light in the darkness who overcomes all darkness And we believe that what resides in us through faith is now light, that we have the spirit of light, the Holy Spirit residing in us, that we can say, let there be light. And we have a promise that that light who is Christ will shine forth. But here's the rub. The rub is you have to see it. The rub is you have to believe it. You have to see it. There's a great uh, quote from, in my opinion, one of the great Christmas movies, The Polar Express. It says this, seeing is believing, but sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. I love this story in The Polar Express. The story of this boy who is told by his friends that Santa is not real and it really messes him up and it's Christmas Eve night And he's laying awake and he's struggling and he thinks it's probably true because he's never heard the sleigh bells before. 
And then there on that night, a train pulls up outside of his house and he gets on the train. It's a train to the North Pole. It's this magical train. It's unbelievable. He's seeing all these amazing things as he's on the Polar Express and he gets to the North Pole and it's a, it's a city and it's a party and he sees the elves and there's the toys and there's all these other people there and everybody's waiting for Santa to arrive. And Santa arrives and then the Santa's looking to give the first gift to one lucky child. And the elves part. And Santa looks at the boy and he says, why not this fellow? And he comes over and the only thing the boy wants is a sleigh bell. And so Santa gives him this sleigh bell. He's overcome with joy. He gets back on the train and he goes back home and he goes to bed. And he wakes up in the morning and he realizes that he can't find the sleigh bell anywhere. Saddened. He goes downstairs and he begins to open presents and he sees a little box. And he opens that box, and there's the sleigh bell. And it said, found this in my sleigh. Make sure to fix the hole in your pocket from Mr. C. Joy reignited again. And then he begins to shake the sleigh bell, and he hears the most beautiful sound he's ever heard. And his parents say, oh, where'd you get that broken sleigh bell? It sounds awful. And the story ends with another quote where it says this. At one time, most of my friends, this is the boy speaking, at one time most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me as it did for all who truly believe. You see, church, there is true magic and joy in the Christmas Advent season. There is something to anticipate. There is light in the darkness for all who believe. For all of those that the bells of faith and the bells of truth have not rung silent because of cynicism or because of apathy or whatever it may be, there is joy and hope and peace and light through faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is internal sight. It's the ability to see what can't be seen. It is internal sight. It is seeing Jesus as the light who overcomes the darkness and overcomes your darkness. It is seeing that nothing is ever hopeless because the light is always shining and things that are hopeless are dark and darkness will not overcome the light. It is being able to say, let there be light in my mind, in my heart, and my life. It is saying, let there be light when there is confusion or conflict. It is saying, let there be light in adversity and in anxiety. It is saying, let there be light instead of saying, well, let me think of a quick fix solution or let me just to surrender to defeat. It is saying, let there be light. It is having internal sight to believe in who Jesus is. The Word become flesh. God in the flesh. The person of God. Jesus is God. And with God, He is the Creator who has come to save. He is the light that offers life to you. He is, in fact, life-giving. When you believe when you trust him, when you see him for who he is. And my prayer 
is that you would see Jesus for who he is this Advent season. You may, there may, may, have, may, have, may have been no other time in your life when you needed to see Jesus as the light in the darkness than this year. I pray you see it because he is. He is the light in your darkness. He is the light in all darkness. And I pray that you would begin to claim, let there be light in everything that you may be facing. Because listen, church, there is magic in Christmas, and his name is Jesus Christ. I pray that's who you see and who fills you with joy. Will you pray with me? Lord, this season can be a season of so many different emotions. Joy and fear, difficulty, excitement, exhaustion. Lord, you know how we are all feeling, and I pray that we would see you as the light in our darkness, in all darkness, that it will never overcome you, and that you give life, you offer something that is life-giving, which is yourself. Help us to hear that. Help us to see it through the eyes of faith. Restore us. Give us joy. Give us anticipation. Give us anticipation for the future. Having hope in what you're doing. Lord, I pray that this season as a church, we would cling to you. That we would say, let there be light. And experience the truth of that claim knowing who you are, knowing that your light resides in us through faith and your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.